Good morning, guys. If you guys have Bibles, why don't you open up to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, before we jump in, I want to give a quick little um, just kind of outline of what to expect over the upcoming um, really kind of months. If you guys don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. We'd have some ushers that would love to get you a Bible. If you don't own it, it's our gift to you guys to keep it. Um, so we just finished up, wrapped up a little season series of Advent, and uh, that's done as of last week. And then uh, we're going to be jumping back into the book of Peter. So we had been in a series in the book of Peter and uh, making our way through that verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And that's kind of what we have been in. And we're actually going to be circling back to get back into that. And that will take us up to sort of the end of February, which by the end of February, we automatically kind of will then transition and get back into a new season of remembering Jesus's death and resurrection. It's called Lent, and it's a season whereby as a church on the calendar that we look at is a way of uh, kind of synchronizing our lives into the life of Jesus so that we live the life of Jesus and follow and understand who Jesus is. And so from then, we will basically be getting into sort of a little bit of a series looking at the last words of Jesus on the cross. But before that, um, I'm really excited about jumping back into the book of Peter. Uh, again, if you have not been with us in that and realize over the past four weeks, we've been a little bit out of uh, sync with that. So we're probably a little bit rusty in terms of where we're at. It's one of the reasons why I want to look at today is sort of a little transitory or transitional message back into it, again, out of the book of Peter, but it'll remind us a little bit of as to where we had left off and then hopefully set our attention on what is to come. Um, over the next several weeks of looking at, probably about eight weeks, maybe two months or so, of uh, being back in the book of Peter, there's a lot of great things that we're going to uh, cover in terms of topics. I'm not sure if we're actually going to finish the book. We may. We may. There's a very possible long possibility that we might end up actually doing that, um, but a handful of things that we'll be looking at just kind of for you to think about as we will be jumping back into that. Uh, so right now we've been in chapter three, so we've got about three, uh, three more chapters, three, four, five, and then we'll be done with the book. Uh, some of the topics that we'll be looking at up and coming are things, for example, like the end of the world, just small little topics that maybe you're like, What's going on in our world right now? Well, actually, Peter has all to say about that. He talks about the end of all things. We'll look at that. He's going to talk a lot about human sexuality. So various topics like that that are even kind of on the mindset of a lot of people today. Things like, for example, hope in the midst of human suffering. Peter also will address, and we will also spend some time looking at the subject of spiritual abuse. In other words, pastors, leaders that have taken advantage of their flock and have not treated them rightly in a way that looks like Jesus. And all of these topics, we will spend some time unpacking, looking at, considering, and then we will ultimately end this incredible book, hopefully at some point, maybe even before, if not um, sometime shortly after Easter, uh, really just the subject of God's peace and how we make sense in a world full of chaos of God's peace. So we have a lot of great stuff that we'll be looking forward to. Again, it's a little bit of a wetting your appetite in terms of expectations as to what we'll be jumping into. Uh, with that being said, what I want to look at here today is really just kind of the subject. I'm going to title it uh, Royal Priesthood. In fact, I have a little title that I'll show you up here. In fact, let's go ahead and show that. And I have a little, what I'm really excited about actually is subtitles. I like subtitles, right? Um, that's one of the best part about books, by the way. Like, I like a good subtitle in a book. Right? Titles are cool, but subtitles. Ah, that's really good. All right, so here's the title. A royal priesthood, that's what we'll be looking at. But the subtitle is this. It's an alternative to narcissism, hyper-individualism, and nihilism. In other words, right now, 
in our world at this seasonal moment in our year. A lot of people spend a lot of time and energy trying to think about new resolutions that they can then devote themselves to in order to live into. Uh, things that they are looking at over the past year and assessing and realizing, oh my gosh, I went down that pathway. I don't want to go down that pathway again. So they're making new promises and hopes and uh, desires to kind of move into the new year. Um, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to just take a brief moment to kind of ask you guys, don't show the slide. Oh, darn. Remove that quick. You guys didn't see that, did you? Um, what are some, hopefully you didn't see that. Sorry, we didn't talk about that. That was my, my bad. Um, hope, I'm just going to assume none of you guys actually saw that. And then how about you tell me, what would you think some of the big top uh, tier items that people are making resolutions to really unpack as they move into the new year? What, what would you think some of those are? Same out loud. What's that? Lose weight, right? Did you guys read that? Did you guys read that? Be honest with me. It's all cool. You're lying to me. Anyways, so lose weight. What else? Exercise, right? What else? Eat more chocolate. I like that. Yes. I, I endorse that. That's totally good. I approve of that message. And what else? What, else? what are some other things that people make resolutions to try to move into? Read more, right? All right, I'm just going to read them too. So we'll go to them, throw them up there since I'm not confident that you guys are not going rehearsing these from memory. So anyways, here we go. Not that I don't trust you. I totally trust you. But here's the point. Exercise more, lose weight, get organized, learn a new skill or hobby, live life to the fullest, save more money, spend less money, quit smoking was a big one. Number eight, spend more time with family and friends, travel more, read more. It's interesting within the statistic that they were saying is that 46% of all those who make these New Year's resolutions are successful, which means over half of those who set and chart their year out with these great new resolutions, they fail, right? They, they do not succeed, right? Um, the other little statistic that says them is that 4% of non-resolvers were successful at achieving their goals. So in other words, this doesn't look too good for resolutions. So the point that I would make is this, is that this time of year, a lot of people spend a lot of energy, and I would even add, probably ex- end up exhausting themselves, trying to obtain something new that maybe they had not done over this past year, or maybe in some ways kind of redoing what they kind of failed to do last year. I think underlying all of this is a real desire to be a different person, to be a new person, to be a different quality of person. Um, and this is really kind of the core of this is identity. Who am I? And who could I be? Who should I be? Um, what's the world or what are the popular topics that are out there, the menu of options that are available to me, and how do I live into those things? Or how do I apply myself? Or how do I set forth certain expectations in my own life in order to achieve these certain goals? Again, there's nothing really wrong with these. The simple fact is that we do know, based upon percentage-wise, most people do not achieve these things. And so... What, you know, as a pastor, as somebody that works with people, I always ask myself the question, what type of psychological result or effect does this typically have on people who do not live into these things, who end up failing these things? In other words, there's a lot of guilt and shame that people end up feeling. They feel horrible. And then sometimes it might even cause them to go even further into a place of brokenness and breakdown because they realize they can't even make good on their own promises. How can they make good on other promises of other people? So the point that I'd make is this, is as I was thinking about this, 
the writer Peter, as he's writing to a community of Christians that are living throughout the ancient Roman world, trying to follow Jesus faithfully in the midst of a society and a culture that's at odds with them, he's writing to them to basically say, here's first of all who you are. Here's what God has invited you into to live according to, to follow God in a fresh new way that breaks rank with the typical storyline of culture and society at large. And this is where the alternative element comes into, is that right now, many of us are trying to make sense. Who am I? Who could I be? Who should I be? Who do I not want to be? And how do I run as far away from that as I can? What I would suggest to you is that Peter actually tells us, here's who you are if you are a follower of Jesus. So in other words, the identity piece that he's going to throw out to us is so crucial to this concept. And I would even say construct as to how we live our lives. And he uses this phrase, the royal priesthood. So what I want to do is I want to just kind of muse and think and consider the idea of what it means to live into this identity of being a royal priest, all right? Some of you waking up this morning, you're like, who can I be? Maybe if I can just be a royal priest. That was exactly what you're thinking when you woke up this morning. Not really. But the point that I would make is this. If you weren't, if you weren't, my hope would be that now you begin to think about this is one of the identities that Peter says, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what you are. So with that, what I want to do right now is I want to show a little video from our friends at the Bible Project that have this great breakdown of this really important theme, biblical theme, which I'll read. I'll read the passages in just a moment as soon as we're done watching the video, and then we'll make some comments and statements on it, and then we will wrap it up for this morning. But let's go ahead and watch this little video on royal priesthood, and then we'll read the passages. The Bible introduces humanity as God's royal priests, ruling with God in Eden, a place full of life and abundance and God's blessing. But humanity was deceived by evil and then exiled from Eden. And so humans forfeited their calling as the royal priesthood. But God promised that one of their descendants would be an even better priest who will defeat evil and intervene on their behalf to restore the blessings of Eden. This descendant would be a royal priest like Melchizedek that Abraham met in Jerusalem and also like Moses and the priestly figure he saw on Mount Sinai. This descendant will also be like David and the priest king that David called my Lord in Psalm 110. And all of these figures lead us to Jesus, the ultimate royal priest who suffered and died for a failed humanity so that they could be restored to their original calling as royal priests. About a month after the resurrection of Jesus, his disciples see him ascend into the skies. Yeah, this was the fulfillment of Israel's hopes and of the story of Jesus. He was exalted into the heavenly temple of God's presence and installed there as the cosmic royal priest. Now, Jesus also told his followers to wait for God's presence to come and guide them into the future. And so during Pentecost, a festival in Jerusalem, God's spirit comes down on them like they're each many temples who are filled with God's presence. Many temples? Yeah, just like God took up residence in the tabernacle and later the temple, now God dwells among the followers of Jesus and their bodies are the temple. The apostle Peter, who was there that day, later put it this way. You all are living stones built up as a spiritual house. You all are a royal priesthood. So they are all together God's temple. And they're also the priests. 
reclaiming that lost calling that God gave humanity to represent him and to rule the world on his behalf. The Spirit is restoring the life and blessing of Eden to the people of Jesus. But these people aren't priests. They're merchants and fishermen, soldiers and slaves, tax collectors and the poor. They work in the world and not in temples. And yet, they talked and behaved as if they were priests. They believed Jesus was the cosmic royal priest, ruling all of heaven and earth as his temple, and they saw themselves as an extension of Jesus here on earth, that is, the body of the Messiah. That's a beautiful image, but what does it actually look like? Well, if you went to the temple in Jerusalem, you would hear the priestly choirs singing poetry that honored God and that told the story of his love. Music was a bridge between heaven and earth. Also, the followers of Jesus started writing and singing new songs about Jesus as part of their priestly calling. Right. Priests also surrendered everything over to God through their sacrifices. And so, followers of Jesus started giving themselves their time and their money and energy to serve those in need. And they said, these are the sacrifices that bring pleasure to God. Priests also intercede on behalf of others through blessings and prayers, advocating for the needs of everyone. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Paul called on the Christians living in Rome to all together offer their bodies as one single living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Yeah, Jesus offered his life in the ultimate act of love. And so they too were to surrender themselves to each other and to those who needed their help. This is the royal priesthood, Jesus style. When people imitate Jesus, the royal priest, they become a new humanity, living in a way that reunites heaven and earth. Exactly. And now you can see how the whole Bible is one unified story about a royal priestly humanity that lost its way. But then how God promised to raise up a priest who would give his life to restore us. And then how the stories of Abraham and Moses and David all point forward to a promised priest king. And how this all led to Jesus, our great high priest, who suffered on our behalf to restore us to our calling. And so this is why, on the final pages of the Bible, there's a vision of a renewed and reunited heaven and earth with humans serving and ruling as God's royal priests forever. So I want to read just a little passage out of the book of Peter, chapter 2. Um, it will be up on the screen. You can follow along if you'd like. Uh, the attempt, again, is to listen to the words of his writing and to let that maybe recast a new vision for you in terms of alternatives to what I described earlier, whether it be individualism or narcissism or nihilism, meaning life is futile and might as well just not fully enjoy it. Um, I would even add it's a better alternative to just simply saying, maybe if I lose 10 pounds, life will be better. Maybe, but maybe, it'll just be more of the same. Or there's an alternative to live into this incredible identity, which he describes, that is not only for this time moment, but will be throughout all eternity, which is what Peter is describing, is a part of the world that we are watching Jesus ha having had established. So First Peter chapter 2, let me read this, and then I will make a few comments and we'll wrap it up. 
First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5 says this, and I'm going to skip on down from verse 5 on down to verse 9 and read verses 9 through 11. So it's just a little bit of a selection that we will make some comments on. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, or some of your translations might say a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. And this is the word of the Lord. What I want first to think about is just this new vision that Peter is basically calling us into. Again, there's alternatives to this that at the end of the day are short-lived, meaning they have timestamps or expiration dates. So no matter how much you devote yourself to these alternatives, they might provide some form of mileage for you that might make you feel better for a short period of time. But at some point, it will fail. When it fails, then what? That's the big question. Uh, The invitation of Scripture is to receive an entirely different identity, and from that identity becomes a calling. In other words, we begin to live according to the idea or the identity that we've been given. And this is basically true for everything across the board. So if you simply look at yourself as nothing more than a husband or a wife or a mom or dad, and that is the sum total of your identity, that's not a bad identity. The problem is that that is the identity that you derive life from. At some point, it will fail you. Because again, let's say, for example, if you just identify I'm a, I'm a dad or I'm a mother. And what happens when your kids get to the point where you're no longer, they're, they're no longer around and you're no longer functionally operating to that level of a mom or a dad that you did when the children were young and they were far more dependent upon you. In other words, it's this idea of like identity crisis. Who am I? And you then go forth searching for some form of new alternative identity to try to borrow, to gain some mileage from. The alternative is to receive the identity that the scripture teaches us. And in this context, he's saying you are a royal priesthood. And as the video pointed out, that there are certain elements that we are called to. There are certain ideas or lifestyle traits that we are invited to live into. And this is exactly what Peter is describing. So I thought it would be kind of fun to just look at a handful of these things, and then we'll wrap this up. One of the things that we say oftentimes as a church is our main mission, our real driving goal or passion or longing or identity, if you want to think of it that way, that we see ourselves as a church. Uh, the, the mission statement, if you would, or the vision that we have for who we are, are really three things. To be a, this community of people that love God, love others, and do good. Love God, love others, and do good. And that's exactly what Peter's basically saying, is that those that live according to this identity that they've been given, a royal priesthood, you are a priest. What that will look like is you will love God. And here's the way he describes it. Uh, take a look again at the passage in chapter verses uh, 4 through 5. He says, to be a royal priesthood in verse 4, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So number one, you get this idea of offering spiritual sacrifices. What exactly does offering spiritual sacrifices, does that even mean? 
Um, again, we can think of it as either giving our lives, our offering our bodies, uh, our all the sum total that we are to God, realizing at the end of the day who we are as human beings. We're not hyper-individuals, as we oftentimes are told within our culture to embrace and live according to. Um, we're, we, we belong to God. And this is what Peter's reminding us, that at the end of the day, we are invited to offer ourselves, to offer our spiritual worship, our spiritual sacrifices to God by giving what we have, which is our lives, our minds, our bodies, our hearts, our spirits, our souls, all that we are to God. Again, skip on down to around verses 9 and 10. He goes on to say, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies. So in other words, in this way, it begins to span out a little bit, to proclaim his excellencies. So part of what it means to love God is proclaiming, proclamation, stating uh, the goodness of who God is. Um, and the fact is, when you think of it this way, things that we devote ourselves to, things that we find valuable, we gladly give ourselves to proclaiming whatever that good thing is. Um, worship is not something that should or necessarily is a hard thing to do. We naturally proclaim the praises of that which we value. It's just simply that way. Um, and so, for example, if you want to follow this upstream and say, well, I am not normally or consistently singing or proclaiming the praises of God. The question that you now need to actually wrestle with is, is why do you not deem or value God to the level that God is worthy of being valued? Now, again, we might bristle with that, with that or wrestle against that or push against that, but it's important for us to face sometimes truth and just say, oh, maybe that's the real issue in my heart. Maybe the reason why my soul is slow when it comes to singing or proclaiming or acknowledging the greatness of God, worshiping, in other words, is because I just simply don't see him as ultimately valuable. That it's, it's part of just being honest with ourselves. It's part of it having to deal with the, the reality of who we are as human beings. And that forces us sometimes to actually have to look at, well, maybe there's 10 other things in my life right now that actually I find of greater value than God. And once we begin to discover what that is, it's not time to become sullen or inward focused or introspective or filled with guilt or shame. That's not the aim of this practice at all. It's really just to be honest. And within that level of honesty, honesty to come back and say, man, Lord, I'm sorry for not honoring and valuing you for who you ultimately and supremely are. But it's, then it becomes this moment where we realign our lives with the purposes of God. And this is what Peter, I think, is inviting us to. That's what a, a priest does. A priest's aim is to represent or represent God to the people on planet Earth, but then represent the people, just human humanity and human needs and human neediness to God. And as we live into this, we become the type of people that begin to fulfill the purposes of God. So number one, we see the idea of loving God. Secondly, we see this idea of loving others. And this plays out in terms of how we view other people. And again, this is what we say for ourselves as a church oftentimes, is that love God leads to loving others. It's, this is not anything you know, novel that we've created in any way. It's just, we're just simply reiterating what Scripture teaches, that we can claim to love God, but if we don't love other people, then really there's a, there's a problem with our, with our, the, our theology. 
the way that we, cl- we claim or we think that we really understand who God is. Because, again, this is where, like, for example, Peter, or uh, John, First John, he'll describe, he says, if we claim to love God, but we hate our brother, then actually we, we lie. The truth is not in us. Because if we claim to love God who we don't see, but we despise our brother or our sister that we actually can see, then we got a problem. So in other words, he's kind of moving from this like place of like, it's actually easier to love something that you see than it is to love something that you don't see. But if we claim to love that which we don't see, God, and not love that which we can see, then we have a, we have a work cut out for us, which is a practice of repentance, practice of acknowledging, oh man, I claim to love God, but there's a lot of people I am very judgy on. There's a lot of people I despise. There's a lot of people I actually think I'm superior to than, than anybody else. And there's this tendency of not, now needing to recalibrate my life around the purposes of who God is, which then leads me to love other people. Then last thing is this idea of doing good. And this is kind of the big E on the I chart, I like to say, that Peter's then going to go into, which will then kind of bring us back into the book of Peter beginning next week. And this is what Peter begins to focus on, is the idea of loving God, loving others, then begins to play out in these practices of, of just simply doing good in this world. Christians are simply called by God to live in a certain way that actually the broader society around them should be able to look at Christians and say, man, there's something unique about them that's actually filled with goodness. And historically, it's actually interesting. If you look at the Christian church, historically, from, and I'm talking past 2,000, 1,800 years, that there are moments where the church has done incredibly horrible, right? We, we, we can look at episode after episode and example after example and realize there are moments where the church did not simply get it right. Moments where the church in general uh, kind of co-opted or had been co-opted by political powers and entities and their mission kind of got drifted from the aim, the object of loving others, loving God, devoting themselves to the work and the purposes of God, kind of got commingled with earthly affairs and empire building instead of kingdom building and everything began to drift. And as a result of that, when the church kind of began to follow, <laughs> we got some little ones that might need some mom and dad hanging out with them. We don't want them getting. <laughs> Anyways, um, it's part of the joy of having family style services. We're all good. But the big idea is that we can easily drift. And we've seen the church do that over and over again. But the fact of the matter is, and a lot of times this gets, this gets more pressed than oftentimes anything else. Of people who love to look for a reason to disdain Christianity, all they have to do is simply open history books and realize the church has not done a good job. Absolutely true. We shouldn't argue that. We shouldn't push against that. We shouldn't bristle at that. We shouldn't deny that. Just simply own it. But here's the beauty of the Christian church. We are also given these instruments to bring about self-correction. And this is what repentance is all about. This is what it means to turn from our wicked ways and turn to the good ways of God, and then to be remade according to his likeness and his image. The flip side can also be said is that the church has actually been renowned for doing good throughout history. I mean, look, we take for granted in our culture things like hospitals, welfare systems, taking care of workers' wages. Do do you realize all of these actually came from the Christian church? All of them. 
throughout history. We take them for granted today. We're just like, ah, oh, that's the object of kind of the enlightenment ideals. Absolutely false. It came from Christianity. Because somewhere along the line within the history, someone with an aim or a vision of the kingdom of God saw themselves as a royal priest and said, those people who are out there being destroyed and ruined by culture at large, society, or some sort of pandemic, or brokenness, or broken marriages. I mean, even orphanages. Those, all of these things came from the historic Judeo-Christian vision of God and royal priesthood thinking that said, we've got to do something about the brokenness in this world. And the church rose up and said, let's do something about that. Let's show dignity, value, and respect to people that are off in the margins. And this is, again, part of the history of the Christian church as well. My hope would be, in this new coming year, that we would truly embrace this identity that God invites us into, of being a royal priest, to receive this royal priesthood, calling, lifestyle, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength, our mind, to love others, to not disdain or despise anyone, but to receive and love all people. But then, thirdly, to enter into this process, this practice of really asking God, what does doing good in our culture, in our society, in our city, sometimes even in some cases in our neighborhoods, what does it look like for us to really truly embrace this royal priesthood identity and do good? So with that, I want to finish by singing, and we're all going to stand in just a minute, and then we will partake of communion together. So Josh will come forward, and we will sing together, and then we will also partake of communion together. And if you guys uh, have not been a part of our time of taking communion together, we have some little, I don't know what you call these, little spots, hot spots, right? hot communion spots available. So you can make your way towards one of those while we sing, if you would like to, um, then just receive, uh, take the little cup. And uh, again, if you're unfamiliar with this, peel the thing off and there's like a little wafer on top and you know, you get the idea. It should be pretty self-explanatory. Uh, so ho- go ahead and hold it in your hand and then we will partake together at the very end. And I'll say some more words just to explain what this is all about. So why don't we all stand right now? I'm gonna pray over us. And if anything, as we sing, if you would like to partake, feel free to go ahead and grab one. If you would not like to partake, it's totally fine too. Um, my invitation to you would be to just let the words of the songs that we're about to sing, just grab a hold of your heart and synchronize your life with the ways of God through the process of confessing any sin or distance or anything that's going on that needs to be confessed before God. And then by faith, confidence, saying, God, I want to I be like you. So I receive who you are this morning. So let's, let's sing. Go ahead and grab the communion, and then we will partake together.